Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. I'm going to answer a question, or try to at least, from a patron this morning on the end goal for progressive evangelicals. The end goal for progressive evangelicals. What are they trying to do? What is Russell Moore and Tim Keller and all the rest of them, what are they trying to accomplish by siding with or ingratiating themselves to the side of the aisle politically that wants to cancel them? Why would they try to have a partnership there? And this confuses a lot of people, I think, because uh, they think, well, hold on, doesn't the ERLC and the Southern Baptist Convention have traditional views, biblical views on sexuality? If so, then that's way out of step with the Equality Act and the Democrats, and why would you then try to uh, ingratiate yourself to Biden? And um, and so some people have spun theories about this. Well, they're they're just trying to keep their enemies close, right? Um, it's a strat- strategic thing, and it's, it's about survival. They're trying to survive by uh, showing their goodwill to enemies uh, on race issues or something like that, on gender issues, so that when it comes to sexuality, then they won't be canceled. Uh, so it, it's kind of a, this, this mechanism for longevity and trying to maintain some kind of a platform or credibility in the eyes of uh, the Democrats and the lib- the liberals, progressives, whatever you want to call them, the revolutionaries, as I sometimes call them, and uh, and I think there's some some merit to that. I actually think that's probably the gist of it. Um, there's there's other theories about you know maybe uh, this is actually who they really are. You know, Tim Keller really is a progressive. He really does believe. Uh, what progressives believe, and he's been a wolf in sheep's clothing in the church for a long time. He doesn't actually believe the ethics uh, of the Bible. And uh, here, I'm just going to tell you what I think up front before we go through all this, um, uh, the slideshow with all sorts of information. Um, I think there's there's a, a mixed bag going on. I think there's a, there's enough room for people who are covert within the church. Uh, there's enough room for people who are trying to, in ignorance, uh, or honestly, stupidity sometimes. Um, the, the word that you know Stalin uses, useful idiots, they're, they're ingratiating themselves to uh, someone that's going to harm them. You see this in abusive relationships, right, on a sort of a micro level. People who are abused, um, wives abused by their husbands, uh, you know, potentially, you know, they can get into this uh, situation where, um, they they blame themselves and they always are trying to prove themselves to their husband or something like that. It doesn't have to be wives and husbands, but uh, whatever analogy you want to use um, on, a, on a micro level, you can see this in counseling situations. So I think there's enough room for a lot of different explanations. Um, ultimately, though, I think the, the bird's eye view, the trajectory this is going, uh, it's very similar to what happened in Germany in the 1930s and early 40s when you had a uh, progressive wing called the German Christian Movement in the German Christian Church, and you also had then the Confessing Church, and the Confessing Church was largely filled with people who were were pretty weak, honestly. Um, they they were they were affected a lot by neo orthodoxy and Pietism, and they didn't really fight the German government that hard. Uh, they were more concerned about ecclesiology. And so they just didn't want the German government coming into their church and telling them what to do. You know, you got to take your Bible out and put a Mein Kampf there and put a swastika up. And hey, that's not your business government. I mean, that was kind of more their concern. And you have your Bonhoeffers and others who are a little more aggressive. But overall, that's the German Christian, or, or sorry, the confessing church. Then you have the German Christian movement. The German Christian movement was a lot like today's woke church. They ingratiated themselves to the Nazis. Uh, they almost became, they, they really did become apologists for the Nazis, uh, justifying what th- they were doing, their policies based on twisted scriptures. Uh, they downplayed scriptures that would have contradicted the Nazis. Uh, they, they, you know, tried to take things out of their hymn book that would have been offensive to Nazi thinking. And, and so this is who they were. And so um, I, I see those two things working out themselves here. Uh, and, and I want to go through some, some examples of, I think, what's happening in the world, what the reaction is to that, uh, why we're going down this path, in other words, and then uh, what are some alternatives? Like, practically speaking, um, we don't want to fall into either of those pits, right? We, we want uh, to be bold, steadfast, strong, trusting in the Lord, um, and have a full-fledged um, public theology to be able to deal with what's happening. Uh, from from a Christian standpoint and from an ecclesiastical church standpoint, so it's uh, you know we wear different hats. We're, we're we're members of churches. Some of those who are listening are leaders at churches. Your pastors, and then uh, you're also Christians. So sometimes what you do within the church and what you do as a Christian can be a little different. And so I'm going to talk about that a little bit um, and how we approach this. So um, let let's go over a few things here. 
uh, in answering this. Uh, the times in which we live, the times in which we live, warning for those with kids in the room or if you're listening in the car, please, uh, there may be a few things that I say that you, you may not want them to hear. You may want to just skip a forward 10 minutes, um, five minutes, probably 10 minutes to be on the safe side. Uh, a few things I just want to show you and talk about real quick. Here's a, um, a, a headline I saw. A uh, number of young Americans who identify as LGBT skyrockets. And this was on February 24th, 2021. And here's a quote. A Gallup poll released Wednesday discovered that self-identified LGBT people rose from an estimated 4.5% of the U.S. population in 2017 to 5.6% in 2021. Now, I'm old enough to remember when it was less than 1%. It was very small. And this is growing. It's growing by leaps and bounds every year. And there's a lot of explanations for it, I think. One might be a family breakdown and just not finding your identity in your family coming from a lot of abusive relationships and uh, relationships where mom and dad didn't get along and, and, and there was, uh, it, it just wasn't, it, it wasn't that uh, traditional stereotypical family. It wasn't, you know, little house on the prairie. It was, it, 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 and, and maybe no family is quite that, but it was definitely, uh, there, there, was a, there was a dark side to it. And so there's a rebellion against that. And one of the rebellious, rebellious things to do, if you want to separate yourself from that, from that family you grew up in, that maybe you legitimately do have some uh, bad memories with, or maybe you don't. Maybe maybe you're just uh, going along with the narrative that's out there. That um, you know, I, I found a lot of people, young people, just seem to to believe that even if they had a great childhood, sometimes for some reason they're deceived into thinking it wasn't so good, it was terrible, uh, they're victims. And, and, and so that narrative, I think, just reinforces uh, that thinking in people that even had good childhoods. Sometimes, uh, no matter what you think about, if you start focusing on the flaws and blowing those up and making mountains out of molehills, you can, you, you can kind of make an origami. You can make anything you want out of that. And so some, sometimes I think people or young people can do that as well. So whether someone comes from a good family or not so good of a family, there is this pressure I've seen and this trend to try to derive meaning from another a substitute family, which is what I think the LGBTQ community, how that's how it's often referred to as a community um, is. I mean, what, what does a lesbian have in common with a transgender or someone who's bisexual, right? The only thing they have in common is they're against something, really. Uh, the, the LGBTQ plus IA, I mean, there, there's all sorts of uh, new letters arising uh, in that, um, that, that acronym. And th that's really what holds them together is they're, they're in opposition to something that that's, I mean, think about it. What, what do, what do these people have in common with each other? Um, so, so they're rebelling against something. They're coming together saying, we're not that, and we're going to find somehow identity within a place to belong within this new community. And some people will say that they found it or they, or they think, they, they think they found something better than what they grew up with or what they were used to or what's traditionally put out there uh, and for thousands of years have been put out there as the norm. And, uh, and here's just some signs of it that um, some young people are going this way. Now, I, I must say, um, having known some of the people that have come out of this, uh, they, they realize it was a lie or they realize they were deceived. They, what they thought that was so bad that they were leaving, that it wasn't actually as bad as perhaps they thought. And what they were coming to wasn't as good as what they thought. And they, they, they realize over time, uh, others, I think just, they, they stay in this kind of thing because they, it, it, sometimes it's all they know. Sometimes they, they're just, you know, the alternative, the uh, traditional biblical family is so vilified. They just think it's a horrible thing. Um, a lot more I could say about that, but it's, it, it's a sad reality that we're living in a country in which um, the, 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 you know, James White calls it the culture of death because it cannot produce life. Uh, but the culture that um, is against the traditional family, against moms and dads coming together, forming a family, uh, and, and that being the norm, um, that, that, that group of people are be, they're, they're becoming more and more prevalent. And um, so 5.6% now, according to this Gallup poll. Now, here, here's uh, a train station in Canada. This is not the United States, but I just saw it on social media. Someone had posted it. They were in Canada. And you can see it says the sex you want. Take pride in the sex you want. It's, it's exactly what I've been saying. Deriving meaning from what? From, from sex. Reducing relationships down to sex. And, and of course, there's a place. There's something very, your identity is very much, um, sex is very much a part of that. God, God made people differently and with different, uh, a different telos based on their sex. And this, this messes that all up. This confuses that. Uh, but but they're trying to take that, the pleasure, and you see this, this picture of these three people, racially diverse, finding pleasure in each other. Three people. 
Um, this is, I mean, it's very offensive, but this is publicly displayed at a train station in Canada. It's called the sexyouwant.ca. Uh, selfish, um, <laughs> you know, you're confusing. Uh, and of course, uh, this, this is supposed to be diverse because they're racially diverse here, ethnically diverse. You have a black guy, you have uh, someone who's in between. I don't know exactly what ethnicity they're trying to portray there and then a white guy. And, and the thing is, it's actually not diverse because it's three dudes. Um, diversity would be uh, a man and a woman, <laughs> right? That would be diversity. That would be difference coming together, which is how God intended it. This is not diverse. And don't, don't let these people tell you that they're diverse. They're not. This is sameness. Uh, and, uh, and, and I'm just giving you some, some signs of, of the times. This is where things are going. And I think the people in progressive evangelicalism, I think Russell Moore knows about this. I think he sees it. I think he's been hedging uh, and preparing for, uh, for this for a long time and trying to secure his place with a platform. That, that's what I believe. I'll give you some evidence, uh, I think, uh, at least some, some, some clues that, that could lead to evidence of that. Uh, here's uh, some, some more, some legal changes. So you have cultural changes, you have some legal changes. Pastor arrested for lockdown violations in Canada. Many of you know about that. Uh, Merrick Garland vows to fight discrimination and domestic terror extremism as attorney general. And we know what this means. This isn't uh, radical Islam, right? He's talking about uh, radical, quote-unquote, Trump supporters. You know, he's talking about Proud Boy type of groups. Uh, and he's going to fight discrimination. Um, I know some other articles talked about he, he wants to, f to f get racial equity. He wants to fight for that. Uh, and then you have the House poised to pass the sweeping LGBTQ rights bill. The, um, and of course, this is a little old. The House did pass it. And now, as I'm recording this, the Senate is considering it. So uh, that would be the Equality Act. And of course, this has great ramifications. Churches would have to um, hire people they disagree with uh, on a theological level. Um, and it's so much more than that, but it's such, it's, it goes down to the very DNA of our culture, of Western civilization itself. And you have, here's Out Magazine recently. This gay thruple won the rights uh, for all three to be legal parents. Congratulations to these dads who are known as Daddy, Dada, and Papa to their children. Pray for these children. Three dads, right? Uh, and we were told in 2015, now that's a slippery slope when you say that you're, we're going to have polygamy or something like that. No, it's not. It wasn't. It was... Uh, actually, it, it, it was not a slippery slope because all people were doing was pointing out the fact that if you don't have a definition for marriage, this is what happens. Anything goes, right? Uh, any relationship could be called a, a marriage. Um, and you know, and, and here, here you have three guys that are adopting a, a child, and, and it's now that that's legal. Uh, so again, more signs of the times. Church is labeled as white nationalists. Here's an interesting, um, someone had sent me this. Uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center, which uh, during the Obama administration and now the Biden administration, I believe, is now, again, uh, informing the federal government, the Department of Justice on, quote-unquote, hate groups, etc. And, of course, that, that hate group um, label gets broadened and broadened and broadened. It started with, you know, it's like neo-Nazis and Klansmen, but now, I mean, they've gone after, you know, like Focus on the Family, I believe, or, or, or an organization like that. I think it was Focus on the Family. They're going after a church right now in Michigan, though. They put them on this hate list. Charlotte, Michigan, and it's because the pastor wrote a blog. That really was based on just that. The pastor wrote a blog, and here's what the blog said. And I'm going to give you some quotes from this. Um, now, he he uses some language that might might be considered antiquated, and I don't think I would have phrased things the way he phrases it. But just think: Do you think that this merits someone being put on a hate list with neo Nazis? He says. Um, that uh, for the past 1,500 years or so, the white race, as it has been shaped by the Christian faith, that's key, has been clearly without dispute superior. Now, again, I wouldn't phrase things that way. I don't think uh, that is, you know, what does he mean by race? I think he's using antiquated language there, uh, you know, or the, the sense of race that used to be the definition before Darwin, that races are peoples. Uh, and European peoples, uh, because they've been shaped by the Christian faith, have a superiority. Okay, what kind of superiority is he talking about here? Well, he says the legal system of white men was superior to the legal system of the non-Caucasian. They were superior because those legal systems were based on God's law. So the pastor had said this in a blog, and this is getting him put on the same list with Klansmen and neo-Nazis because he's pro pro white apparently. But if you if you actually read what he's saying, he's what he's saying is that uh, it's only because of the Christian faith 
that Europeans have been more advanced technologically, legally, uh, their culture um, has uh, certain um, boundaries and respect. Uh, I mean, respect for women and even the way women dressed, etc. Uh, in order to protect them, the gentlemanly, uh, well, I was going to say gentlemanly behavior, which now is kind of uh, on the <laughs> on the ropes. I'm not sure exactly if it exists uh, in, in certain parts in the South. You'll still see it somewhere where men where men get up uh, for a woman, or they 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 give preference to a woman, uh, open doors walk on the you know side of the street where the traffic is to to shield them from any you know that kind of thing um there's still a sense of that uh, in some places but that's being eroded um, but all those things came from a culture that uh, or a, it's really not a culture that's why I, that's why i don't like the saying the white race or something I, I i get what sometimes people are trying to you know say there but it's actually it's a bunch of different cultures it's a bunch of different races if you will it's it's people what what does someone in germany have in common with someone in england well quite a bit but there's quite a bit they don't have in common but both cultures have been shaped by christianity there's no doubt about that um, even, you know, Italy is Catholic, but there, there's been a sense in which some, some biblical principles, you know, have shaped Italy. And so Europe as a whole has been shaped by Christianity. And that's made a difference for a long time. Now, we're, we're at a time now where we're running off that inertia and that inertia is starting to slow down. <laughs> we're, we're heading towards uh, a time when I, I, I think that we may be surpassed by China, frankly. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's due entirely to that. It's, you know, why study science? Why, why did that, why did the um, Renaissance take place and the interest in the arts and these kinds of things? In large part, it's because of, there was a God of order. Um, you know, why, why even, if life is meaningless, if, if there's no order, if there, there is no God that's upholding the universe, why even go down that road? Why, why try to increase technology? Why care about other people? Uh, why have, uh, why sacrifice? Why have delayed gratification when you could have it now? For, so why should husbands and wives save for their children? Well, Proverbs talks about that, right? These are things that were ingrained in, in Western culture because of Christianity. And I, I really think that's what this pastor was trying to communicate, even though I, the way he communicated it, the, some of the phrasing he used opened himself up a little bit to criticism, but a Klansman, a neo-Nazi? No, that's not what this is. Um, in fact, it's the opposite. He's not, he's saying it's not because of their genetics. It's not because they're white. He's saying it's because of Christianity. This wasn't controversial even, I'd say 25 years ago, this would not have been controversial. Now you're, you're, you know, this, this Overton window has shifted and that means you're a Klansman. Uh, here's, um, some of the evangelical social justice reaction, right? Just a little, some samples here. You got Max Lucado apologizing for a sermon on homosexuality from like 10 years ago. He said what the Bible said, and I was apologizing for saying what the Bible said. You got, um, here, someone sent me this from Mid-America, not Mid-America, I got to be careful here, Midwestern, Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, from the Sword and the Trowel Bookstore, Black History Month, this was in February, sent it to all the students, here's what you got to be reading, and, and look at the books, Reading While Black, right at the top of the list, Standpoint Epistemology, Postmodernism, it's the critical race stuff right there. Um, you got Jacob Denhollander uh, saying on Twitter um, that uh, basically saying that James Coates, this gentleman in Canada who is a pastor who went to jail for holding church, that it's not really persecution. And there's a whole host of people on Twitter that were progressive evangelicals saying this isn't persecution. It's not persecution. This is the reaction that we're seeing. And it's on, it's on like every issue. Uh, apologizing, uh, trying to side with the zeitgeist of the age as much as possible. Uh, when there's persecution, just downplaying it, it's not, and I'm not, it's separating themselves. I'm not part of those guys. Yeah, maybe there's some bigots out there, but that's not me. I'm, I'm not trying to defend any LGBTQ people. I'm not trying to, uh, you know, be a, a white supremacist by claiming that Christianity has had a great impact in Western culture, and that's a good thing. I'm not trying to, um, I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, bucking the COVID laws because to, to meet for church because, well, that would be wrong. I'm, I'm not like those other people, those other bigots, uh, but I'm still a Christian, right? That's, that's the play. Here's a statement that came from some SBC students uh, recently, and they basically, I'm going to just summarize this for you. They, they made a statement publicly, which takes some work. You got to put it online, etc. And they said that the statement that was made last, uh, I think it was late fall by some uh, Al Mohler and Danny Aiken and some of these Jason Allen, Adam Greenway, these guys who run the seminaries, they had said basically, they, they rehashed Resolution 9 in a way. They said, 
hey, we're, we're, we affirm the Baptist faith and message. We don't affirm critical race theory, right? But they never specified, really. They didn't say the analytical tools thing that Resolution 9 says, but they never condemned Resolution 9. They never outright went against Resolution 9 or gave any clarity. So these students issued this declaration. Basically, it's an ultimatum saying, hey, we think there's a place for critical race theory. That's basically, if you read the whole thing, that's basically what they're saying. And, you know, it wasn't good what these seminary heads did. I mean, they're to the left of Danny Aiken. And they're, they're making this, this statement. And so you got pressure from the left. I mean, a lot of us think uh, that, you know, some of these, especially in the Southern Baptist Convention, you know, you got conservatives putting pressure on Al Mohler. Yeah, there are some. He's got a lot of pressure from the left, guys. And it's hard. If you're, if you're uh, someone who tries to play politics and you, you do this, you see which way the wind blows to try to make your de determinations on what you're going to say. If you're a calculator, uh, if you're a pragmatist, if you're someone who's an opportunist for yourself, then that's a very challenging situation to be in because you have two diametrically opposed positions and you want to be liked by both. How do you do it? It's very hard. It's very hard to straddle that fence. Gospel Coalition last year po posted an article on the Great Reset. Let me summarize it for you. Uh, there are those who are against the Great Reset, and they're wrong. They're the pessimists. There are those who are for the Great Reset, and they're also wrong. They're the utopians. There's this third way that's biblical, which can take parts of the Great Reset, and then other parts, maybe not so much, but it's not specific on exactly what that would look like, what parts are good, what parts are bad. Um, and, uh, and, and of course, the Great Reset's just going to fizzle out eventually anyway. It's a fad. That's basically, if you want to read the article, that's what they're saying. Well, that's just naive. The Great Reset is, is not a fad. This is, this is global fascism on a scale we've never seen before. And, um, and, and it's something that, it, you know, is, imagine these guys, I'll just give you an example. Imagine they were in Germany in the 1930s. Imagine they were there saying, well, you know, there's some good points to this, uh, to, to what's, what's happening around us. You know, whether they were in the Soviet Union, there's some good points to this. Uh, that, that Christians can so get behind. And there's other things that we're cautious about, but we can't tell you because we're going to be vague about it. I mean, that, that's, that, that doesn't, that's useless. That's useless. Um, how in the world are people to, to know what to do when the horn or the bugle is uh, creating an uncertain sound? And that's what we get from the Gospel Coalition on something as fundamental as the Great Reset. And I've talked about it before. This is not good. This is the Tower of Babel 2.0. And we're going down that path. So what's the answer? Why are these evangelicals in name? That's what they call themselves. Why are they going this way? Why is Russell Moore going this way? Well, here's an example of why I think Russell Moore is trying to ingratiate himself to the state for power. Moore welcomes White House faith-based office February 21st, 2021 from the Baptist Press. Let me read you a quote from Russell Moore. Biden has established the White House uh, Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships. Now, what's, what is it supposed to do? I'm going to read you. Uh, he, it's supposed to, um, according to the executive order, uh, preserve the, f the constitutional commitments of guaranteeing the equal protection of the laws and exercise of free religion and forbidding the establishment of religion to do what? Well, to focus on the COVID-19 pandemic, the economic recovery, systemic racism, historically disenfranchised communities, pluralism, and global development and humanitarian work. Now, this is the kind of thing that under George W. Bush, which was less it wasn't, it was tame, right, compared to this. Uh, this was w where the refugee resettlement stuff started, and you had evangelical organizations all for the refugee resettlement because they were getting all, all sorts of money for it. And now we are not just having the refugee resettlement. I mean, who are the historically disenfranchised groups? You don't think LGBTQ plus is going to be part of this? If you, do, if you don't think that, then you're naive. Joe Biden said that uh, the transgender rights is the number one civil rights issue of our time. Um, systemic racism. What is that going to look like? How's the church going to help with that? They're going to get, they're going to partner with the government to help with it. This is the formation of an established religion. You have an established religion in the state, and this is the state church coming together. And here's what Russell Moore said. I'm going to read you the quote. Almost all of us agreed that the office is an important point of connection between the government and communities of faith that should exist. And that faith-based office should be reinvigorated and led by those with clout in a presidential administration with credibility and, and to the outside world. I am grateful to see that President Biden is reestablishing this vital office. That's what the statement he issued. He's so grateful that a president finally with clout, 
uh, in the outside world is, is in office and he's leading this, gives you a window into Russell Moore's soul. Remember what he's been saying about Trump the last few weeks, months, and even years. And now look at what he's saying about Biden, someone who is aggressively against the things that Christians stand for. And Russell Moore is, look at the words he has for him. Russell Moore's not on your side. And, I, and, I, and look, it's the RLC's not on your side. And those who put him in power and support him and do not speak against him are not on your side. And they're not on God's side. I'm going to be blunt about it. That's the truth. And Al Mohler is one of those people. I'm sorry. Uh, all he's, pretty much everything he said publicly about Russell Moore has been uh, positive. I mean, he was the one that, that set Russell Moore up to become the head of the ERLC. Uh, he was known as someone that was, Russell Moore was known as someone who was protected by Al Mohler, loved by Al Mohler at Southern Seminary. Uh, just in 2018, Al Mohler even was just hoping for many more years of Russell Moore being in charge of the ERLC. It's on Twitter. He tweeted it out publicly. And I know some of you are going to say, I've been in the room with Mueller and he said he has concerns about Russell Moore. Did he say them publicly? This isn't to get down on Al Mohler. I'm just saying that um, it's shocking that there's no one of a high stature in the convention. Uh, hardly. There are some uh, now. You have some people running for office, uh, that they're, but they're not. <laughs> uh, you have like Randy Adams and Mike Stone now are starting to say some things, but they're uh, you know, Randy Adams, uh, I believe, does uh, work for uh, or did work for NAM. I'm not exactly clear. I think he still works uh, for for NAM, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but you know, Mike Stone's not drawn a paycheck from the Southern Baptist Convention. I mean, I'm talking about the people who really do work at high levels in the convention, the seminary heads, Kevin Ezel, the head of NAM, uh, IMB. You know, they're not saying anything about this, and you gotta wonder why. Not at least not publicly. Now, here, here's, some, here, here's other political movements. If you heard Trump's speech at CPAC, uh, the guy's going, I mean, he's fighting. He is not, um, his, his rhetoric at least is. And he's, you know, he, he's fighting these guys. He's talking about Judeo-Christian values. And also, I mean, he's, you'd think what he's saying is much better for Christians than anything Joe Biden uh, is putting out there. So you'd think that Christians would want to rally behind that. Um, the, interestingly enough, there's a nationalist movement. There's also a populist movement, and uh, the slide didn't come out well for some reason, but it's Southern Republicans now support secession by 50%, some poll that was taken recently. And in other parts of the country, it's, it's different percentages. That was the higher, highest percentage was in the South. Uh, but why, why not get behind um, either of these movements? These are other political movements. I mean, no one's putting money into a localist movement nullification or secession or anything like that. No one wants to do that in big conservative or big evangelical uh, spaces, uh, places. I use spaces. That's a woke term, isn't it? See, see how much it's even affecting me. In woke evangelical organizations, they're not, they're not doing this because, well, that's kind of fringy, right? But this, these are tools that the founding fathers uh, allowed. And I mean, it's, <laughs> we seceded from Great Britain, right? These, these are things that, are, that should be at least looked at to see if we can preserve some liberty in states uh, where um, people share those kinds of values. And that's not even a thought uh, to, to most Christians and big conservatives. So I'm, I'm just pointing out that there are other movements to get behind right now. Uh, and instead of helping the person who's going to eat you, which is what these evangelicals are doing. Now, uh, before I get here... Um, because I, I, I want to talk about some, some warnings for actual conservative evangelicals. Um, to put a cap on this, I do believe that the main reason that the, the progressive push has been so aggressive in evangelical circles the last few years is because they know. At high levels, they know the Great Reset's coming. They know what the, the progressives have planned in the United States, and they want the church to survive. They want their institutions to survive. And so they're playing ball, and they think that if they go along, that they will be remembered, and that they will be thought of well, and so they'll have this capital. I mean, Jonathan Lehman talks about this all the time, this, this capital. You know, you got to invest it. And that, that's not even a way that Christians should probably think about 
our convictions, like as if, well, we're going, you know, I understand there's hills to die and there's hills not to die on. But when it comes to basic things like meeting for church or not, uh, that's a hill to die on. It's not like, well, we're going to use our, we're going to, you know, somehow get uh, some creed, cre credence with the world because we didn't meet for church. And now that they're asking us to hire LGBT people, we, they'll give us a pass because they'll remember that we were, we worked with them on COVID or something. I mean, that's not how it works. That's so naive. These are totalitarians. Their religion's totalitarian. It wipes out everything. Uh, and you're constantly going to be pushed the Overton window, guys, you're going to be push, 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 push farther and farther and farther left until there's just nothing left to negotiate. And so um, I, I think it, it's a foolish strategy, but I do think there's also some people at high levels who believe in this. They think the Great Reset's going to be a good thing. And it's a race to the top of the hill. Who can control conservative evangelicalism as they, they <laughs> whatever that is now, uh, to um, navigate this Great Reset and to come out on top somehow at the end? There's no way to come out on top. You have to fight it. You have to fight it. Uh, it's it's similar to trying to in Germany trying to say we're going to outlast the Nazis somehow. No, you're not. Uh, you, you know, other armies can come in and they can you know <laughs> devastate your country, and and you know that's going to what that brings uh, <laughs> that brings the end of the Nazis. But it's not something that um, you know you, you can just think that you're going to be able to survive politically in. Uh, and outlast in that sense. I don't think I don't think that's just even a that's not an option. You have to fight it right now, and there's no better time than right now. Uh, the longer you wait, the more the tentacles get into everything, and the harder it is. So um, that's that's what progressive evangelicals are doing now. Um, conservative evangelicals. Um, Michael O'Fallon, who is the president of Sovereign Nations, uh, which is I mean he's the guy that was behind the Dallas statement. Uh, host the you know the website where that is uh, got the conference together for that he's uh hosted a lot of the conferences that you've seen where you see Bodie Bauckham talking about social justice and stuff most of that is like sovereign nation stuff conferences that Michael O'Fallon has put on he's got a podcast called um the causes of things uh he's he, he's done a lot behind the scenes especially and um and it was interesting to me to see him put warnings like this there's a number of them on twitter I'm going to read you these, and, and it sounds very harsh at first. I'm warning you here. It sounds harsh. I want to examine them, though, because I, I think it, it'll give us some insight into kind of what the reaction should be. If it's not going to be the woke evangelical reaction to the Great Reset, what should ours be? He says on January 22nd, 2021, the non-woke reformed evangelical church is harmless, toothless, and completely oblivious to what is happening around them. Very few have any idea what, they, what the actual adversary is, and those that do don't have the courage to do what is necessary to preserve the church. Scary, guys. He said this on February 14th, 2021. The Christians dedicated to defeating social justice without naming names, only the issues, are men that have made the modern Reformed church some strange, unholy idol, carved in their own image and frozen in some idolized idealized vision of the Reformed Church circa 20, 2005. These men and women resemble a spouse scorned by consistent, unrepentant, repeatedly, uh, repeated infidelity, who, even though the cheater has been confronted, keeps on believing that the cheating spouse will come to their senses and recommit to their vows. And as the deceptive shepherds of worldly woke guide the church into becoming the mirror image of the world, and the world becomes the new church of vengeance, the winsome non-woke will understand when it's too late, that they failed their flock, the gospel, and their savior. And these men and women seem to be oblivious of those that the woke shepherd of the resentment gospel continue to deceive, continue to, to create almost Christians undiscovered and destroy church after church across the nation, all for the sake of being, quote-unquote, winsome. He said that February 14th, 2021. Now remember, Michael is a guy who knows, he knows the who's who of reformed conservative evangelicalism. He knows these people. He, he was on the board for the Gospel Coalition, I even believe. Um, he's, he's rubbed shoulders with them and he's paid them and they paid him. And, and so he's a business guy because he, he has another company, um, which I believe is called, I think it's called just Sovereign or Sovereign Events, where he puts on events and conferences. And this is what he's saying. I want you to hear this. One last quote, February 24th, to prevent the birth of horrible ideologies in the church, 
It is important to understand how both the celebrity pastor industry and the establishment echo chambers contribute to the harboring of horrific ideas and the protecting of men and women that forward these concepts. There needs to be recognition that the current reformed evangelical structure or reformed mafia, as I termed this movement in 1999, needs to be ignored. The larger uh, needs to be rethought, sorry, needs to be rethought as it was the lesser known watchmen on the walls that first tried to warn and were summarily ignored. The larger well-known established ministries that this wicked ideological tsunami was being propagated by the very men that they were partnering in ministry over the last several years. We were ignored, doubted, shunned until the middle of 2018, and even during then, still doubted and pursuing the wrong path to understand the why. And sadly, they still don't understand the why, or even worse, they know the why, but are afraid to pull back the proverbial curtains to the horror that awaits. In other words, there is no long game, there is no preserving the institutions. If the current passive path is pursued, we will lose everything quickly and the remnant will need to continue on in the shadows. You don't want catacomb Christianity again, trust me. Now, he said that February 24th. I realize this sounds doom and gloom, but I think Michael, he sat in on world economic meetings. He knows, he seems to know politics and he knows uh, reformed evangelical over Christianity. And, and, and this might seem harsh to, to some people. What I, what I want to say about this is ask yourself a question. This is the only thing I really want to say um, in regards to like certain ministries. I'm not going to like name, go through ministries that I think, you know, he's talking about, or uh, I probably could, but I, he, I think this would be much more helpful to just think through this question. Ministries that you're donating to or pastors that you're listening to from, from ministries. Um, so we're, talk, we're really talking parachurches here, not just churches, but parachurch ministries. What resources have they put out on this issues and uh, this issue? And number two, what names have they named and gone after? Those are the two questions I want you to ask yourself. What resources have they put out? So books, uh, resources for Sunday school or small groups on this issue about social justice gospel on relationship of church and state, on, um, I don't know, you know, have they tried to uh, approach the, the COVID stuff, uh, approach the, um, the issue, the Black Lives Matter issue? Are they putting stuff out on this? And I talked last week about, I said, look, Bodie Bauckham is having a book come out, but why has it taken so long? Why the delay? I mean, three years ago, I thought apologists are going to have a field day with this, and there was nothing. And the ones that did were generally siding with the woke people, or if they weren't, what they were doing was they were trying to spin some kind of like a third way where, well, we, we know that critical race theory is wrong, but we're not doing any of that. And Christianity's not doing anything. You know, we're, we're not going too far here. Southern Baptist Convention is certainly fine. Southeastern's fine. You know, as, and, and they were just using that, their apologetics uh, platform to shield people in the convention. So, that, so I go, come back to my question. I return to it. What ministries have put out actual material on this and what ministries have named names at their conferences the minute the people that they platform have they named the names and i mean how many of them have named al moeller specifically say look this guy right, let me let me off the top of my head let me just give you a few things right al moeller right this is just off the top of my head i could probably mention much more what about the reparations thing the grant that's only for people of a certain ethnicity at southern seminary that was set up because of historical wrongs or something like that. What about um, the apology for denying uh, such a thing as um, the L, uh, homosexual orientation? What about saying multiple times uh, that racism is perpetual, that it won't be, it will, it will be in the Southern Baptist Convention until Christ comes back, um, that it's infecting every American institution? I mean, Al Mohler said all this stuff hasn't apologized for it. None of it. He hasn't retracted any of it. Um, you know, what about, uh, what about the fact of, of Al Mohler and how quickly he jumped on the whole issue of uh, voter fraud and how quickly it was there, there really isn't any voter fraud. Trump's irresponsible, blaming Trump for everything that happened on January 6th. What about uh, the people Al Mohler's platformed at Southern Seminary? Jarvis Williams, Curtis Woods. I mean, Matthew Hall, all people that have promoted critical race theory to one degree or another. What about the fact that Mueller has never really taken any stand against Russell Moore? He platforms the guy. 
he speaks whenever he's spoken publicly it's positive about him uh i mean you're getting the point i hope i hope it's this is starting to make sense how come no one's called him out publicly for any of this how come no one's even questioned it and when I say no one, I'm exaggerating. I'm sure there are people who are. And maybe, hey, look, if the ministry you're thinking of has done this, then praise God, if they're in the SBC, right? I know not everyone's aware of everything in that particular denomination, but use whatever name you want. Tim Keller, you're in the PCA? Okay, does does the ministry, the PCA ministry that you're giving to, um, have they gone after Tim Keller? Have they stole the truth about him? Are they putting out books and materials on this issue? Or... Are they doing this? Are they going after prosperity gospel people? Are they going after charismatics? Or if they're charismatics, are they going after cessationists? Are they going after things that are unrelated to this hard? Naming the names. We don't have a problem naming Joel Osteen. We don't have a problem, you know, going after um, uh, people in the in the prosperity gospel. Sure. Benny Hinn's, you know, terrible, you know, quote unquote. Uh, I mean, I can give you clips after after clip after clip of people in that world doing this but will they lift a finger to go after this issue and and there was a quote in in uh, Bodie Bauckham's book by Charles Spurgeon which some people attribute to Martin Luther I think Spurgeon uh I don't know where it came from but Spurgeon said it where he said essentially that if you are defending the Christian faith at every point at which the devil is not attacking you're not defending at all you have to defend it at the point in which the devil's attacking and it's perfectly fine to go after the prosperity gospel we have to but that should not be the, if, if you're a ministry, if you're a parachurch ministry, then you're, you're presenting yourself as dedicated to biblical exposition or dedicated to apologetics, dedicated to preaching, whatever the case may be. And if you don't have a problem going after prosperity preachers, but you don't lift a finger to go after, to name the names of social justice preachers, then what does that say about you? Where are you? The church needs men. The church, the churches are being split and ravaged over this. There's so many churchless people out there as a result. I'm just challenging you. Think about this. Think hard about it. Call the ministries you're donating to. Ask them, hey, where's your resources on this? I, you know, I was wondering, you know, I, you're in the SBC and you're an SBC ministry. You know, where, where have you called out Russell Moore? Or um, where, where have you, you know, you pick the name you want to pick. But I'm just just wondering, uh, where where do you guys stand on this? Because they're all going to say they stand, they're against critical race theory. They'll all say that. But when the rubber meets the road, are they identifying the wolves? When the rubber meets the road, are they putting out material on on this? Or are they writing another book on, not that it's wrong to do, but are, are they only putting out things on, I don't know, church ecclesiology or something? When, when, when the churches are in desperate need of understanding their relationship to the state. So... Uh, that that's a challenge I have, and I and I, I say that as a result of reading some of this. Uh, here here's just some these are some thoughts I had as I was going over this. Um, possible weaknesses in the winsome coalition building approach, right? The kind of like think of high school girls for a minute, and how you know there's a cool the cool kids group in high school, right? And uh, and and then how do you compete with the cool kids group? Well, you form your own cool kids group, your own club, right? And, and that's kind of like what we typically think of children doing, but it's not something that's just children. I mean, adults do this on a higher level. And I, and, and I wonder whether or not some of that is happening where it's like, we're not going to talk about what those other, you know, what, what the cool quote unquote girls are doing. We're not gonna talk about gospel coalition people and what they're doing or desiring God people or nine marks people, but we're gonna build our own thing. And we're not going to talk about them because we want to be winsome and we want their people to like us, but we're hoping that people like us. And, and here, here are the, the, the critiques I, or the cautions I would have. I think this has the potential to be too centralized. So if you start, like it's going to be our brand, our conference, our, our people, um, our little, our, our niche, our, you can, you can end up getting way too centralized because once your organization's taken down by the state or whatever, it's, it's done. It also has the potential to be too personality driven. If you have a guy or two guys or three guys or a group of guys that like these are the guys and you're not willing to kind of um, you're not willing to, to reach across to other denominations that might not share your views, let's say, on cessationism or continuationism, uh, but you're not willing to partner with them to defeat this beast because uh, because, hey, they're brothers in Christ. You just have this disagreement. You know, if you're making these secondary disagreements barriers, I think it just has a, um, it becomes way too specific and personality driven. 
And and this is something, you know, like who who would you platform, right? Thinking practically about this. Well, why not like someone like Juan Riesco? Why not have him for a conference, right? Talk about his experience with Nini's Deli and stuff. I, I'm just shocked that no one really who knew about it wanted to pick up on it. Um, why not, you know, platform uh, small smaller pastors who have had experience really dealing with this and are willing to talk about it? So what, I, what I'm not saying is that it's wrong to have someone who's well-known as a pastor. That's totally fine. What I'm saying is you want people who are good at engaging this issue to talk about this issue. And if you're not, then you know maybe step aside and let someone who is because this is the issue right now that's ripping churches apart. Um, this has a potential. This strategy, this winsome coalition building approach, also to be too centered around piety and ecclesiology. And I've noticed this. Many conferences from non-woke conservative evangelicals have a tendency to, to be about things that aren't other than the social justice stuff. A whole conference on you know the role of the church or whatever. But it's like okay, well there's some helpful things maybe there, but there's an elephant in the room. And, and this is what the, the, unfortunately, this is exactly what I, what I saw in my study of the um, confessing church in, in Germany. They have the same problem, the same weakness. And then um, it is also this winsome coalition building approach when you're trying to be, you know, outdo the gospel coalition by being a better gospel coalition, right? It assumes the perpetuation of religious liberty. Like, hey, the state's just going to let us keep going this way. Well, look, I think the gospel coalition was set up and some of these other organizations that are more going the woke path, they're going to keep bending. And if you're not going to bend, you're going to be taken out. So, so, here, so what's the alternative, John? I mean, it's, you're criticizing here, but what are you going to offer? Well, here's what I think. This is just my strategy in my mind. I'm spitballing. The alternative, I think, is a grassroots localist approach. Um, sure, have conferences, but have a bunch of them all over the country that are small. Local pastors uh, find the funding to do this kind of stuff. I, I've talked about this before to, to people. Um, who have money. I'm like, why don't you fund smaller endeavors? Like fund a curriculum to go out there uh, to small churches. So you have, you know, um, you know, um, uh, thousands of people across the country or hundreds at least who understand this issue and can equip their people. It's harder to take out that many people. It's easy if you have just a few people you got to vilify. Uh, robust public theology. Do conferences on the role of church and state and Black Lives Matter and how to respond to social justice and the history of the social gospel and, uh, you know, there's so many things. Um, uh, be orthodox, but also big tent. So, hey, welcome people in who are orthodox Christians uh, to have events about this. Even yeah, They may not agree with, you know, your version of, I don't know, baptism or cessationism or something but this is this is a beast that needs to be killed so you're it's okay to partner with those people to to do that purpose we're not talking about being in the same church together we're just talking about conferences and partnerships uh with books and sharing resources and that kind of thing uh be practical and educational you gotta get these books and these resources and these videos into the hands of laymen that's that's the only way you can't just it can't be so highbrow it's got to be uh, you've got to get in the hands of laymen. And that's what I've been trying to do. That's why I have this podcast. That's why I'm writing a second book now. And then um, fifth, build uh, trusted sources in public realms outside of ecclesiology. In other words, not just have plat pastors being platformed, but you, you need to find people who are Christians, um, preferably, uh, I think. Uh, I mean, it, so, since there's some overlap here with uh, political issues, there's a political religion we're facing. Um, sometimes I think, uh, the conservative evangelical Christians are going to be listening to some voices that might not even be evangelical, but they're just telling you the truth, let's say, about COVID or about Black Lives Matter or something. There's really nothing wrong with that. But but I specifically would love to see Christians who love the Word of God, have the gospel, um, you know, who are in these other realms, in politics, in the medical field, uh, being platformed at these places to, to speak because we, we need their knowledge. We need to know how the Word of God applies to a field they know very well. And I, I just think it would be helpful. I'm not saying it's necessary. I mean, pastors have the word of God, and if they study what's going on around them, they should be able to apply it. But I think it's good to have people that are specialists in these areas. Um, so so that, that's just my thought. Those are the alternatives. That's, that's my two cents. So to sort of sum everything up here, woke evangelicals, they're ingratiating themselves to the state to become a state church. That's, that's what they're doing. Uh, a lot of conservative evangelicals right now, in my opinion, they're way behind the ball and they're not getting resources uh, to the people that need them and they're unwilling to name the names, many of them. And I'm not saying anyone in particular, again, diagnostic questions, ask about the ministry, think about what have they produced, how they name names. 
Um, you may want to even reconfigure your giving if they're not willing to do that ever, or if they're not doing it, give to a ministry that will. Um, cause that, that's the big issue right now, guys. And then, um, and, and then I think, uh, third, uh, just my advice, if there's anyone listening out there who has the resources, who's part of uh, platforming Christians, putting conferences on, any of that stuff, I would just suggest um, going through the, the practical things I just laid out and thinking through, okay, how can we best equip laymen? Uh, how can I reach out to people who aren't necessarily part of my reform tribe or my charismatic tribe and get them to, to, to um, you know, share resources there, uh, form those alliances outside of, of that bubble? Um, how do we, uh, you know, try to ensure that we have um, laymen in every church, uh, you know, hedging against this? So those are those are my thoughts. I hope that's helpful for you guys. Uh, this was in response to um, a message or a, a question that I got uh, from a patron. I want to say uh, finally, though, at the end of this, that uh, next week, the um, I, I've seen this already, by the way, but the uh, the documentary on Nini's Deli is coming out. And you're going to want to subscribe to Last Stand Studios on YouTube. I can guarantee it uh, moving forward because there's going to be a lot of other stuff. But it's it's good, guys. It's really, really good. Um, I just I can't say enough about it. You're going to want to share it with your friends. So please, uh, look, you know, pray, pray, pray that people would would watch it. Uh, people would come to know the Lord. There's you know a gospel message. Uh, we really want to see fruit born by this. So uh, I appreciate all your support. Hey, God bless, and have a good day. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.